Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Smash a player's skull Hey, no easy answers But there's one thing I know Now it's time to play that banjo Football's our favorite But won't you please take note We see it's got some problems We're all in the same boat Reckoning with football's past I reckon you better paddle fast Boys, I think I hear that Welcome to Banjo College Football. I'm your host, Kevin Paul, joined as always by my uh, partners in legal activity, Andrew Stevens and Brian Scott Rippey. Fellas, how are we? I got a ticket for uh, operating a cell phone while my car was on, so I am not uh, partaking in legal activities over the past couple of weeks. How about you, Rippey? Andrew, I saw you 12 hours ago. When did you get this ticket? No, I got this ticket in the city of Atlanta, Georgia, uh, last week, where there apparently is a law where you cannot have your cell phone in your hand while your car is on. Now, while I understand the premise of the rule, um, I was sitting at a red light with the GPS in my hand when an unmasked police officer on a motorcycle decided to come and tell me that I needed to pull off the road. I think that it made a lovely case for my uh, abolition of the police uh, shtick that I think that we've all been on for the past, uh, I don't know, 10 days, 10 months, 10 years, whatever. But um, other than that, it's been pretty good. Rippy, how about you? That's interesting because they have that law now, I believe, in Memphis. And it's interesting because I don't think they either, if they have it in Mississippi, they don't enforce it. But I, my dad, I think, got one of those about nine months back, like driving back from work in Memphis. And like, I feel like that's one of those things where like the principle of the law, like I get it. But at the same time, that screams like quota meter all over it. I don't even think that's a word. But like if they're like end of the month and they don't have enough tickets or whatever, like I'm going to get this guy using his cell phone at a red light. I'll tell you what, I do not think it was a coincidence that I got the ticket on July 29th. As I say, the lighting here, so that makes yeah. Sense. I remember, I remember it at home, like uh, driving, like driving in high school. I would have to go through like a different school's school zone to to get to our high school, and every every like the last week of the month, they were like set your shit at 20 miles an hour and do not go any further because like people getting pulled over at 23, 24 miles an hour going through school zones because it's July fucking or August 30th and they got to, they got to hit those numbers. Speaking, Speaking of, of numbers, guys, we do have football. 
and we like have to know how it's going to work. Yeah. So, numbers, uh, um, I don't really know where to begin with this because uh, based on my East Coast travels this time, we we have had a little bit of a lapse in mm-hmm. reporting. But there's also kind of seemed to be, um, I don't know, a, a lapse in fucking judgment. What what the fuck is going on right now? So for for those who may not know just yet, uh, earlier today, the Big Ten released um, their tentative schedules for the 2020 football season. Um, they agreed upon, you know, an all-conference schedule, 10 games per team, uh, but they are starting the season September 5th, which is a month from today. And that's kind of incomprehensible. I understand if you think for some reason football can get played, but there's no universe where they can play football in a month, right? Like, am I going crazy or what's going on here? If the if the NCAA had not come out and set their amended preseason practice guidelines literally 12 hours before saying, you can have padded practice or whatever, like actual real football practice, fall camp, for the lack of a better phrase, even though that's one of the dumber phrases we use in the media, August 17th, as opposed to, you know, like starting this Friday when it was supposed to start, then I could see it. But now that you're having to start August 17th, this makes no sense. I'm just going to put my hand up. This is not happening. Like, if they're going to start their season, fine, but it's going to be with everyone else on September 26th or somewhere in that neighborhood. There's no way this is happening September 5th. Yeah, as um, a man that quit his job yesterday because of um, lackluster coronavirus protocols at a school he worked at, I I can sure as shit tell you that there is not a single way any of this stuff is going to happen. Like, the two groups of people that you're dealing with right here, and, and – I I have this weird thing to where like I feel like high schools are the only place where you can like in general operate any sort of like maybe potentially socially distanced protocol. It's not going to work, but like so I work at a I work at a K through eight or pre-K through eight like elementary middle school. You have kids there that like don't have they, they can't understand what is going on here. And then you have kids in college that are kind of just going to blow by it because they don't have any oversight. Like at least in high school, like you have people who understand the severity of this problem. If you can teach it to them and still have like parental gut now, granted their parents might not believe this is a real thing, but you have some sort of oversight to like maybe potentially keep them in line a little bit with these college kids. You have 18-year-olds, 19-year-olds, no oversight. I think every single one of us knows what the average college town looks like in the first three weeks of school. Classes really aren't – especially if you're doing some weird mix of online and in-person classes, you're just going to have kids think that they're going back to party. Ole Miss is 90% online, 10% in person. That's incredible. You know the the amazing part about this, like, mixed online versus in-person learning is, like, 
there's an argument to be made that that's probably the worst thing you can do because not only like, like for the younger kids. So you're still sending them to school for 16 hours a week together. So you're still exposing them in person and not to mention when they're at home, their parents might need childcare. They might need something else to help them. So like you're bringing in people to then like add to this problem. So if the goal here is to see as few people as possible while still learning, you are actually like increasing every single person's like personal bubble here. It's insane to think about because that point about the first three weeks on a college campus and in a college town is that's probably the best possible point. You cannot expect college students to adhere to any of this because you can set as many rules as possible. You can threaten as many penalties as you want. But at the end of the day, this is just a group of 30,000 people ages 18 to 22, all within the same. And horny. They're all horny. In the same same 10-mile radius. It it is literally impossible to fathom. I cannot imagine that it's going to happen. And I, I think it was Bill Conley who said this on Twitter. The obviously, if you don't have students on campus, but you have the athletes on campus, then it takes away the whole student athlete facade. It's safer to not have students on campus and to just have the football team. If football is that big of a priority for you, you just have the football players and no one else on campus. Well, you just I, exactly where I was going to go as well, in the sense like if you want to tie this into the North American, like I say, North American Canada seems to be doing a better job, American sports landscape. <laughs> if you're looking at what's working and what's not. Bubbles work like to 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 their to the NBA's credit. As silly as the bubble idea seemed, I remember you know, I, I I saw like Dan Wolken column get like troll retweeted by some account the other day about talking about how the bubble was a stupid idea. Well, props to them because this is working flawlessly. I don't know if y'all been watching the games, but one, the games are awesome. Two, no one tested positive for the coronavirus, and three, this whole on-campus bubble thing seems to be working flawlessly. And then you go to baseball. And it's just a disjointed mess. So, like, you have a clear – and hockey seems to be the same way, right? The bubble works. So, like, what that works, yes. what doesn't work is very clear at this point. And so college football, if it wants to happen, probably yeah. going to need to go to some sort of bubble scenario. And, you know, we, at the end of the day, you're going to have to acknowledge that these dudes aren't normal students. Like, that, like, there's so many forces not to be pulling in too many directions at once – but the name, image, and likeness thing is basically acknowledging that these guys aren't normal students. They deserve to be paid you know, a fraction of the money they bring in. The whole coronavirus, if you want to have a season in 2020, requires you acknowledging these guys aren't normal students. They deserve to be compensated in some form uh, because they're taking all the risk. Like, all of this is trending in one direction, but on the coronavirus front, the bubble has to happen or some sort of form of it. And if you're not going to do a real bubble, is there any way to insulate these guys to online-only classes, keep them in facility, pray to God they don't go out and see what happens? Because that seems like their only hope. If they just go by the seam of their pants and they say this is normal, like, you know, just do what you normally do, then they're screwed. This is not working. So I th- KP and I were talking about this last night. And so I, th- there are, I think, I, I guess, three overall points that, that I kind of want to make in regards to this. First, I think that you end up where you obviously you I think the schools are debating right now. Is it cheaper for us to lose out on the entirety of one season or to pay athletes basically in perpetuity? Because the moment you pay them for one coronavirus season or whatever, like you're not close, you're not getting that tube back in the tooth or the toothpaste back in the tube. And so I, I think you really do have like 
very fucked up moralistic internal battling of like, you know what? We, like we never get free labor back if we go about this way. So it might just be cheaper saying, fuck it, we're going to cancel this one season as opposed to only having the football team on campus. Second, the, the bubble point is completely correct because KP and I were talking about this yesterday. You kind of have two options right now if you want to operate sports. You can either A, not play them in America, or B, you can play them in America in a bubble. With the MLB, it has been shown with the summer camps in Georgia. Like, If you have a fucking brain, it has been shown that like increased travel and increased interaction is only going to end up with people participating in this thing you're trying to produce getting the coronavirus. And when you have all sort of varying levels of risk, you're going to... God forbid, but like you are going to have someone die from this. Like you are going to, we are going to wake up and it's like, oh shit, Mike Matheny died. I don't even know if he's still the fucking manager of the Cardinals, but like someone is going to like, ne- sorry, Mike Matheny, if I just hypothetically killed he's you. The Royals manager now, he switched sides of the state. Okay, okay, okay. So <laughs> um, I, I haven't watched a nine inning baseball or a complete baseball game since the Cubs won the World Series in 2016. But the, and, and sort of my, the, I don't even know where I was going with the, the last point, but the the biggest issue I think that you're going, oh, oh, here it was. KP and I were talking about just the SEC. If you just talk about the SEC, so you have 85 scholarship guys per team, you have probably at least 15 coaches that are going to be operating between on-field and in-booth. You have God knows how many analysts. You have equipment staff. You have training staffs. Like You were talking minimum, hundred and this is not including any person that it takes to clothe, feed, house, any of this to these people. You're talking about minimum 150 to 200 per team. I have no idea how you are going to potentially try and institute a 2,500 person bubble anywhere. Like the NBA for the most part, like it's traveling parties of like 35 that all fit on one plane together. Like that is supremely different just from the way and the nature that football operates. And so I don't know how you end up doing anything that isn't going like, like if if the even if the SEC plans on starting a bubble in or, or starting in six or seven weeks what the fuck do you do like if you were going to say like where do you start with a bubble where do you put it how do you implement this where has enough football fields for teams to be able to adequately like practice how do you set up like like all like the TV stuff for the NBA worked because it's literally at Disney all they had to do was retrofit a little bit of stuff and they have seemingly a lot more money at their hands than just the SEC. So I'm at a loss for how anything other than, like we said, Georgia loses by 32 in week one to Bama and then the season gets canceled. Yeah, I don't think it's it's like entirely possible to do a full-on bubble for college football. I say that. It might be. But like I suggested, could you do something to where you have all of your games in Birmingham and Atlanta and you have like the – those like whatever the teams on that side of the conference are like geographically because I'm not gonna say east versus west because you have Missouri but could you do like one or two central locations close by to each other and just make it close I I don't know I'm just throwing out the 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 issue is there's that there probably are enough college football fields in the and you can have almost regions so take Atlanta to Athens there's a lot of high school fields in between there there's Georgia Tech's field, which, I mean, if they're being a partner, they can allow for two or three games at the season we played there. Um, you know, there's Kennesaw State. There's there's a lot of places in that corridor. And same from Birmingham to Tuscaloosa. There's a million high schools in the Birmingham area. Uh, and then going down to Tuscaloosa. It, 
you could have these regions, but then again, Birmingham to Tuscaloosa is about a 56 mile ride. Atlanta to Athens is what? About 70 miles, Andrew? Yeah, less. So, so 60 to 70 miles. So even then, the only way it can work in football is if you have two separate regions separated by 50 to 70 miles. It's- and then you still, <laughs> I mean, and the schedules still don't like every team is playing all but three other teams in the conference. Like Georgia at some point is going to have to figure out somewhere to play Missouri. If KP drives across or flies across the country and still cannot manage to end up in a place with decent internet. Um, so again, the, the good thing about this is I guess we're five episodes in and we need to start, uh, developing some sort of recurring jokes and or bits. And so I figure if we just cut out every 13 minutes and have to do some sort of intros, it'll, it'll endear ourselves to the listeners a little bit more. Um, but I think he, the last thing that KP heard us talking about was essentially Missouri and Georgia are going to have to play each other at some point. I have no idea how you plan on like where it it doesn't benefit like the weird thing is it doesn't benefit either team to both track. Like, like it almost benefits you to remain playing home games because like, I don't think it would be safer to have both Georgia and Missouri travel to a neutral location. Like I feel like it would be smarter to have just one party travel to the other and have that other party staying at home. But then again, like, what I think is ultimately just going to happen is stupid college football boosters are just going to use this as an opportunity to like continue building their football only facilities. Like I'm sure y'all have seen this in a lot of these schools where not only do you have your practice facility and your workout room and your nutrition thing next to your practice fields and everything, but like they're starting to build dorms on top of it to where they want kids only staying. It's not the worst idea in the world, but it really is like, Back to what Rippy's point was saying earlier, it is really emphasizing that like these are not normal students. And so these are not people that are just you you can pick out of the regular student body. I mean, these are extremely uh, unique and valuable members to each particular community. And so I have a fear that they are not going to do anything about this in terms of actually benefiting the players. They're just going to look at this as a reason to generate more booster money to be able to insulate the football team even further without actually like tangibly compensating them. Yeah, and uh, like if you look at things they're going to do to try to keep the, the guys safe, I don't – it doesn't seem their testing protocols are anywhere near as strict as the NBAs or any of these other professional sports leagues, and I don't know if that's a cost – like I genuinely don't know. I don't know if that's a cost thing or them just not wanting to spend the money. I genuinely don't know. I mean everywhere seems strapped for cash right now because they spend it all so they don't have to pay the players. But point being, I think you're going to see an educated guess uh, here is by the time a lot of you listen to this, the schedules will probably be out. And I think you're going to see them revamped be, like, in a way that, like for starters, I don't think the Egg Bowl necessarily is going to be on Thanksgiving night because I think you're going to see at the beginning of these 10-game schedules as minimal travel as possible. I think they're going to front load it to where the first month of the season, as bad as it is, they're going to eliminate as much travel as possible. So from an Ole Miss perspective, that probably means – Bama, Auburn State, LSU, even though that's like a six-hour bus ride, but you kind of get my point, as close as possible. Um, so you're going to see some kind of games be played where you're not accustomed to see them playing. But like outside of that, they don't really seem to have that much of a concrete plan to keep the dude safe, uh, kind of adding on to your point about um, football-only facilities. And then the other part of this, 
I don't think you can go off what the NFL is doing here in the sense that, like, one, the NFL is probably going to start before them. But two, like, as pro-bubble as everyone should be, if there's one sport that could probably do it without a full-on central campus bubble, it's probably the NFL because you're at the facility pretty much sun up to sundown every day. When you're traveling in the NFL, you have a walkthrough on Saturday, get on a jet, go to the hotel, play the football game, get back on the jet and go home. Like you don't go anywhere. There's not an opportunity for guys to go out really hardly at all. You can pretty much mandate that. And you're only doing it eight times a year as opposed to like MLB and NBA travel. It's like there's not a good model for them to go off of. And two, the safety protocols, which kind of leads into the Pac-12 thing. It just doesn't seem that concrete, which makes people skeptical. Folks, if you're hearing that right, Rip. If you're hearing that right, Rippy is now advocating for college football to only be 32 teams. And he I mean, <laughs> Rip wants to kill the group of five. <laughs> I mean, this, is, this, is where this is where this is going. The Power Five is going to go on its own. Because you're telling me in these 10-game schedules, say television revenue skyrockets because you're going to 10-game SEC revenue. Are these boosters and these – not boosters. Are these schools really going to want to go back to an eight-game schedule if the TV revenue is higher? Are they really going to want to go pay these group of five schools for buy games when they don't have to? I don't think you're going back if this happens. Yeah, the, the, it really just does – I think the more and more we, we go into this, and there always had to sort of be this impetus – like there had to be some sort of inflection point that really made it like, oh, shit, like – Power five football is breaking away from the NCAA in some capacity at some time. We didn't really know what it was going to be. We, I think we obviously knew at the end of the day, it was going to be some sort of labor dispute issue because these issues have been bubbling up literally since the inception of the NCAA. The NCAA was created to have issues like this fester. Um, but I, I don't foresee a scenario in which you don't, within the next 10 years, don't essentially just have minor league football teams on all of these campuses where people are allowed to make money from that and also attend school. Because like we've talked about earlier, the schools have the NCAA bent over a barrel just on infrastructure alone. Like not 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 even in name recognition or licensing in that, but like fuck off. The NCAA isn't going to go build Sanford Stadium somewhere. They're not going to be able to recreate any sort of game day experience. They can't drum up. Like The NCAA doesn't have anything. They're just a money suck. Like The only thing that they provide, like for a while, the only thing they provided was organization and legitimacy. Well, now that every other organization has PR staffs and, and, and protocols and operational like every single athletic department operates like a full-fledged business right now to where you don't need the NCAA to come in and run operations standard across the board because guess what Georgia doesn't want to operate like these other schools Bama doesn't want to operate like these other schools they want to do it bigger and better and I think under this whatever new scenario they might be kind of allowed to do what they want more which I would imagine would only further them wanting to separate from the NCAA. The NCAA's only uh, big advantage that they have now is that, as as it stands currently, the March Madness TV mm-hmm. deal is run through the NCAA. But as we said, if the Power Five breaks off and does their own thing, Turner is just going to pay that money to whatever organization is set Correct. up. It, 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 they don't pay it because it's the NCAA. They pay it because they get Kansas and Duke in an Elite Eight game. Yeah, and, and they'll still have – it. exactly. They'll still have Kansas and Duke. I, I mean, 
the schools in all of this, they will make more money if they don't go through the NCAA. And I think that now that they have started to realize that as, as if the NCAA doesn't give us a cut, but here's the problem. They're not founding this. They're, they're not founding this new league upon some sort of like great moral compass. Like they're not going to be breaking away because they're like the players have been getting screwed over for too long, and we want to do something right. No, they're saying we don't give a shit about continuing to pay the players. We just want to make sure that our cut isn't still going to the NCAA. And the way they pay the players is no longer under the table and in a black market. They were eliminating the black market. Like they already pay these dudes. Like, not nearly what they're worth. But like, it eliminates the black market in that sense. And you don't have to get popped with some stupid show cause and five-year investigation where your football coach questions the guy's religion and core values if you get caught doing so. So, like, there's no, like, <laughs> that, that in the order. Like it just eliminates all of that stuff. So, I think this is all this is headed. And this probably is a pretty good segue into the Pac-12 stuff, right? Because, like, They've kind of had what is it? United we stand. Is that the campaign? Is that what it's called? United together. Yeah, yeah. If if you just heard that, it was uh, Nick Rolovich taking out his his punter behind the shed and killing him, old Yeller style. <laughs> and so, some, of these, some of these demands are they make sense and they should have happened long ago. One of the ones that stood out to me was the health care. So like I have we have a guy in the, our the Ole Miss media group whose son is the center on the football team. And he tore his ACL after his freshman year, and he was talking about how, hey, like, his surgeries aren't over. Like, he's going to have to have two or three more at some point in his life to kind of clean up that knee, but he's on the hook for all of it. So, like, insurance plans, health care, stuff like that should have happened a long time ago. Like, safety protocols for this season should have happened a long time ago. But then there are also things like the 50-50 revenue split, which are just never going to happen because all other sports that don't make money are going to cease to exist as we know it. And you Title Nine. I don't even. I'm not going to pretend to be the legal guy that knows where that goes, but I know it's going to be messy and probably a losing cause. It, it, it's like the was it Bad Santa when Bernie Mac just keeps demanding half the entire negotiation. <laughs> but it's. I mean, I think it's really cool and interesting that this is one of the you know one of the closest things we've seen to real unionization within you know college football players. And it's it's honestly just one step towards that. There's a million other steps to go through. But we saw after one step, uh, Washington State head coach Nick Rolovich like literally tried to like kick half his players off of the team just for thinking about joining something that kind of resembles a union. <laughs> and this well, is the thing that about the word there was Pat Fitzgerald's what what you just heard there was Pat Fitzgerald's massive erection. I saw a, uh, a clip, and this was probably not intentional, but like on Twitter, resurfaced the other day of Nick Rolovich in Hawaii. He got pissed off that some team was kicking the shit out of him, so he removed all of the benches from the sideline and made them stand for the second half. <laughs> Real football guy. Football guy. I was about to say, these are like the NFL coaches that are like, we went 1-15 and 15 last year, and you know what the problem was? There were ping pong tables in the break room. There's a, there, no, it's like, no, dude, like you, you suck shit and you're not that good at recruiting and therefore you don't have the talent or the scheme to keep up with people right now. And so like you went two, you went two and 10 cause you can't evaluate talent. That's what you were. Yeah. I, I, are we talking about Tommy Tupperville? Uh, but that, sure. that, that, I, that, that's its own, that's its own discussion. Um, but no, 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 Rolovich is Rolovich has, I, I think shown his ass enough to where, 
we've brought this up with the the Jeremy Pruitt stuff a lot, but um, you, you really are like laying bare a lot of these college football coaches right now because some of them quite literally cannot get out of their own way. Like like whatever has been ingrained and deep seated in them from the age of eight that like CTE builds character or whatever, like. You, you, you ultimately, I, I don't think are ever going to be able to like divorce that notion. And I, I think that the biggest part of this unionization stuff is you're going to have to have coach support. Like you are going to have to have the coaches across the, across the teams. And especially with the head coach, because I mean, all of us growing up and living in college, like we recognize that they're the highest paid state employee for the reason that for a reason. And they, they control the, like when Nick Saban says, wear your mask and Nick Saban says black lives matter, like people actually listen to it. Dumb as shit system that we've concocted here, but people actually listen to it. So like, if you have these coaches that are coming out and actually like advocating for player rights, supporting the unionization and like taking the team side against you're going to almost need the coaches to take the side against the school too. And like, you, you, I don't know who it's going to be done with, but like, I would imagine you're going to have a martyr coach here or there. Like I, I imagine you are going to have a coach that like loses his job, not necessarily because he supports the players, but like going to be one of those things where like you can support the players, but you also uh, better win 11 games this year. You can't. Yeah. It's going to be a guy like I'm trying to think of a middle of the road, team that's not who are the new kansas state head coaches um got his name he's the coach uh, chris, Kleiman. Chris Kleiman. yes chris climbing from uh right so chris climbing comes out in support of you know this unionization effort and he goes it's still it's kansas state but let's say he does that he's very vocal and he goes four and eight and he starts the next year two and three uh it, should he get fired for that i mean maybe he should get fired for his record but that's not going to be you know, the the overarching reason why he got fired. Kansas State's the worst program in, like, major college football history. They've had bad seasons before, but they've also never had bad seasons with a coach coming out so in support of players. Sorry, sorry yeah, if it, I fired I, you, Chris Kleiman, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, I was, I, was, I was thinking of, like, a. it would be great to get a coach, like, on his – like, imagine if Mac Brown just, like, went full bore, like, player support – or, like – a guy like Chris Peterson before he left, like I, I think it he left, yeah, right? He did. I, he retired. I, okay, okay, that's what I, I just I out of it. Like he, if you read into anything in his retirement, he just got tired of dealing with the bullshit and having like constant like not that he's against it, but just like managing personalities. He just got sick of it and was like, I can't do this anymore. I need a break. Yeah, I mean that could be like the whole. I mean, Charlie Strong didn't voluntarily leave at Texas, but like everything's come out where it's like. I wasn't a good coach there because I didn't know how to be the head. Like being the a head college football coach and being the head college football coach at the University of Texas are two very different things. Right. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, but Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey, and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. You're a politician. You're, you're a politician at you know these like Georgia, Texas, Alabama, Florida. You're you're a, you're the third U.S. senator from the state. <laughs> and in and, terms of where all this goes, right? Like the way I see it, and this could be like totally wrong, but there's a shit pile of real estate between name, image, and likeness, and the fifty-fifty revenue split. Pay them exactly what the market tells them they're worth. Capitalistic like view of this. And like, where does this land in the next two to three years is going to be kind of fascinating. Like, I don't think it's ever going to be these guys are going to get paid exactly what the market tells them they're worth. I just don't think that's going to happen because the schools are obviously going to want a pretty big cut of it. And I also don't think the just uh, like base name, image and likeness thing is where this stops either. You know what the interesting part about it is, though? So I I think about a lot of this, uh, like what I think coronavirus not only obviously in sport, like I think sports is a large microcosm or is a microcosm for the larger issue here. But like, it really is shifting. Like, like I've been thinking about like anchoring a lot and the way that Overton windows are shifting here, because like, let's say 
this this image and likeness stuff, I mean, this stuff has been bubbling up. And, and we, regardless of the coronavirus pandemic, I, I think we were in a timeline to where we were nearing getting the like compensation for name image, image and likeness. Like we had seen too many like Todd Gurley scenarios. I think this stuff that was coming out with Zion, like I, I think we were very slowly, but like, but like steadily progressing towards, we are going to figure something out within the next year or two. I think we've now shifted the Overton window so far to where it's like, you can't claw like, like, Name, name, image, and likeness is now the absolute bare minimum. Like, okay, that's done, but let's start talking about like that TV deal that we know we deserve a part of. And so I don't think you'll, within any reasonable timeline, be able to get to that 50-50 split, but I do think you've you've shifted the Overton window so far here to where things that weren't even thought of as possible two, three, four, five years ago are now like, no, like I'm not stepping on a football field if that's right. not done. All the pandemic did was use it as a springboard. Like, like the players knew they had the, like the players had the power. Now they realize truly how much power they have, and they've used the pandemic as a springboard. And people hate to use the word exploit because it has such a negative connotation. But they have smartly exploited this pandemic to kind of springboard all these talks and move them up exponentially in terms of pace. Exactly. And also going back to your point, Andrew, about you know the TV deals and rep. You you mentioned Title Nine. I don't know how all that works exactly, but I do know. The SEC has a TV deal for volleyball. Like they broadcast volleyball games on the SEC network. They they broadcast gymnastics on the SEC network. It's like even if it's a much smaller deal, well, not even if it is a much smaller deal than football, it's like those gymnasts deserve a cut of whatever, you know, deal that is. Those volleyball players deserve a cut. Those track athletes deserve a cut. And it's a lot smaller, and it'll be interesting to see how that gets divvied up if and when that happens. But I, there is money for everyone to be made. If you are a, an athlete at a Division One school, you have made money. You have brought in significant revenue to your university, and you deserve to be compensated for that. Hot take, I know. but And this is the way that a lot of the capitalist structures work with – the the lack I think it's a lot of lack of imagination right now like I really do think like we fail to understand scale in terms of like how much money these particular institutions might generate and like how we've been so conditioned to the labor receiving absolutely none of it like the way I think of it just in in, in a larger scale like I don't think people necessarily like are able to easily quantify the difference between a million and a billion dollars like obviously one is a thousand times more than the other but like I think people just sort of is like oh both of those are a lot of money and, and sort of fail to dismiss the scale here and so if you look at a company like Nike I don't think people seem like, like they're like they're committing human rights atrocities they have sweatshops in China all of those things are true. And, and I think they are using that as a justification to sort of uphold the capitalist structure of like, well, you can't bring that stuff back to America or you can't ha- produce that under ethical conditions because if you do, you're going to be charging $47,000 for a shoe. And like, that's what everyone says a gallon of milk is going to be $15 under socialism or whatever. But the problem is, is like, no, you could move the factories back to America. You could still charge 150 bucks for a pair of Jordans, but guess what? Phil Knight wouldn't be worth $80 billion. And so like, I think that's where you, you fail. Like you can't have all of them, but the money ends up somewhere. And so wherever the money ends up with, with 
basically creating item lines on the budget for the regular school, doing all of these things. Like, I think we're just, we, we fail to lack any sort of imagination because we've been so conditioned to all of these athletes getting treated like shit where it's like, no shit can basically still run the same except like the, no, you know what? Nick Saban probably can't make seven and a half million dollars a year, but guess what? I think people will still get into coaching if they can make a million dollars a year. Yeah, and that's where you're going to run into complications too because the you have two sports making all the money, right? Like it's football that's like, I don't know, I'm not using exact percentage here, 80%, probably college troops, 20%. And the rest of these sports as a whole are losing a shit pile of money, which the original intention of college athletics a billion years ago was not to necessarily make money. So how does that get divvied up and where does like the greed factor come in? Because I feel like at a certain point when you do start paying everyone, like you get to the point where you're like, hey, well, your sport is not making any money, is in fact losing money. So why am I giving you a cut of what, quote, my sport and I am making? That's the part where it's going to get complicated. Well, the thing is, I, well, so it's funny Rip, when you mention that. In a way, it makes it less complicated because if you are paying someone and then you cut the sport, that's more, it's sort of like a business laying off an unprofitable you know, sector of, you know, their overhead, which is, it's a lot more cutthroat, but it's a lot more honest because right now, if you're not making any money and you're just on scholarship in school, it's like, yeah, your scholarship is worth X amount, but you can't eat a scholarship. You know, you can't pay a bill with, you know, a tuition scholarship. Whereas if sport gets cut, that sucks, but you can also go to another school and make money playing X sport at that school. It's a business. It always has been. So let's start treating it like one. <laughs> yeah, and 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 I think the business of all time for like the higher up, it's like the pre- perfect predatory capitalism, right? Everyone's making money except for the people that are actually making the money, right? <laughs> and see, I, again, I, I, I think the motto of this podcast should be, "I don't know a lot about this, but." Um, and, but with the the way that the higher ups and a lot of these schools function. I know none of those motherfuckers are struggling to eat. Like I know that I know the chancellor at Georgia and the, like I know those people make far more money than they, they know what to do. Like, like if you're working in university administration, you don't need to be pulling in upwards of five, six, $700,000 a year. I'm sorry. Like you might have an important, an important job, but like, especially when we're talking about these things, what would I rather do be able to fund 10 10 scholarships for athletes or cut the university of Georgia's chancellor chancellor salary in half. Um, I think I know exactly what I'm doing. Like Greg McGarity, you cannot fucking tell me you deserve $1.8 million a year or whatever. So like, I think that you, you have a lot of this money that is just built into what we consider like natural overhead. Well, like you got to pay your athletic director $2 million a year. Why? Why? Does he generate $2 million worth of value to this? No. Any single person that gets put in that role is going to get paid that much money just because we've said that we've deemed that they're worth it. No one needs to make that much fucking money doing that job. We complain about the vast majority of hiring decisions. Uh, I was just going to add real quick, like the vast majority of them make terrible hiring and firing decisions. Yeah. Which is their main job. That's their actual main job is to hire and fire. (laughs) Most are not good at it. I about to say you, you you cannot I mean before before the last uh, my entirety of my career at uh, like in Athens it was it was just a race to see how quickly we could fire Greg McGarity and now everything has been pacified because he made the Kirby Smart hire. I mean what was his name over at um 
who was at at Florida forever, outside of literally hiring Urban Meyer, which was a slam dunk hire, he was one of the worst athletic directors of of all time. He 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 was he was the he didn't hire um, Billy Donovan. He was the one that ended up hiring Muschamp and um, and fucking McElwain. And so that they end up making bad decisions and still staying around forever. And so I, I know I'm just piling on the athletic directors, but I think that's decently representative of something that we just consider like has to happen there. And also like, I might be a little bit crazy here, but I don't think Alabama or Georgia needs 15 analysts on their team while kids can't eat that are playing football. And so like other schools can't hire that many analysts. It's not even a set number. Like the more money, the more analysts you hire. If you look at all field staff versus Alabama, it's ridiculous. And that's my problem here too, is what I sure as shit know is they're not turning off the private donation faucet in any sort of world where they might start paying the players. So like, why can't you mend those gaps there? Every single school tries to pimp out their fucking athletic fund to build whatever they need. Why can't that just be used to cover administrative costs if the revenue coming in is covering actual the labor that is producing the product? And real quick, I would be remiss if I didn't mention while we talked about athletic directors that Ross Bjork oversaw and mismanaged the strategy against the NCAA, hired Matt Luke, and parlayed that into the A&M athletic director job. That reminds me of three separate points I want to make. Number one, it's the, the money is always there and has always been there. I remember Georgia fans begged for ye- like a decade plus please give us an indoor practice facility, please, please. And they're like, ah, oh, we can't do it. And then Kirby Smart shows up and like in 48 hours, there's like $20 million pledged. 30, $32 million. <laughs> you know who made it happen? Jeremy that's fucking the, Pruitt. That's 32. He says, I'm not recruiting to this scrub-ass school where we have to drive to Flowery Branch every time it rains. It, <laughs> $33 million. Yeah, $30 million. $30 million. drop of a hat. And you – so I don't mean to cut you off, KP. Do you know how insane it is, too? They spent extra millions of dollars because they had to dig the practice facility into the actual, like, like 15 feet into the earth because they didn't want it being the tallest building on campus. That's the type of money that we're talking about here. They literally have that type. Of, they have fucking millions of dollars of excavator money. And then, uh, my next point is that um, we, we complain about the rules. It's like we can't do that because of these rules. When we wrote the rule book, it's like, <laughs> it's like we are completely in charge of the rule book and how we implement it, how we interpret it and everything. And it's like we can also change the rule book, guys. It, we wrote it. We have the deed to the house, everything. We have complete ownership of this whole operation. We just don't fix it because we just don't feel like it. So, Yeah, I mean, it, it's a completely self-created problem. And again, tying, I think, to the two points together, like – it's just been people that have been conditioned to making a lot of money on large profit margins, not wanting to give up those profit margins. And like, I mean, from I, I don't want to say I understand or I empathize because I try to operate almost and like antithetically to that. But like, I think that you just have greedy people who are finally people are saying you don't get to be greedy anymore. And now we are in that like tumultuous like push and pull battle of, all right, where does the dust settle with this? And in the short term, just like, so like, obviously they, the PAC 12, the, this union or whatever you want to call it, it's basically like a union movement. Like they basically said they aren't going to play the season 
if the demands aren't met. And while I think in the long term, you're seeing where this is going and the players have power, but it does seem like in the short term that the schools could just call their bluff and be like, all right, like, fuck it, we're not having a season. And that, to me, in the short term would work in the detriment of the players. So it's kind of this fascinating blend here to where we all know where this is going. Like, they're going to end up getting paid. But in the short term, like, as far as, like, these demands go, they could call their bluff on this very easily. So – Something I, so I think we saw that Mike, Micah Parsons right before we started recording the DN from Penn State he announced that he was not playing this season and then the big wide receiver from uh, Minnesota I saw Rash- uh, those were like Rashad two Bateman. big names yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Um, those are the two big names that I've seen up to this point where it's like those are those are people that people want to see play that aren't going to be able to play but I mean this is. A uniquely fucked up part about college sports, though, is the schools understand, like, I'm literally staring right now at a University of Georgia painting. And so, like, I went to the University of Georgia. Like, I didn't go to the University of Todd Gurley. And so, like, they've created these conditions where, like, it sucks because even a guy like Micah Parsons is doing what is best for him but people aren't necessarily mad that Micah Parsons is sitting out. They are mad that the person replacing Micah Parsons isn't as good as he is. Like, so the the weird thing is, is like, I don't, all the players I feel like need to sit out here to where it would devalue the product enough to where fans won't watch or be like viscerally angry with like, I'm not watching high school football because the problem is you have one or two guys sit out here and there even if they're even if they are very good very valuable players every college sports fan just the way that they have been conditioned and everything is they're a fan of the team almost no matter what and so like we've trained this next man up mentality to like not even care if someone sits out like I, it, it's uniquely like i'm complicit in it but like it's uniquely fucked up in a way that it removes the leverage from the player in a lot of these scenarios It's the reason college hoops is never fully going away as a viable sport, because no matter how much top talent goes to the NBA, college basketball fans root for the school. Like, it's probably going to be the sixth most popular sport in the American sports landscape, but it's still going to always be viable, because no matter who's in the uniform, I mean, it could be me, and we all know the history of that, but people would still root for it. So, like, We need to tell that story on on an upcoming podcast. (laughs) But no, yeah, no, you're 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 totally right. I mean, you, the amount of the amount of dog shit college basketball that I've watched in my life, like you cannot tell me that you you could devalue that product by five or ten more percent, and I wouldn't continue to watch. What do you like? I watch the NBA, and then I, I've I've stopped watching it a little bit, but like I will turn. I, I spent disposable income to watch Georgia basketball games this year. Like that is fucking insane. Yeah. Like that is the dumbest shit. But it's also like, you know what? If Anthony Edwards wasn't there that year, this year, I still would watch Georgia basketball. And so, like, they, they really do – I want them to do what is best for them because ultimately, like, if Micah Parsons doesn't have to get coronavirus and he can keep his NFL stock up, like, I want what is best for him. I want what is best for all of these players. But I think their strength really right now is going to come in numbers and saying, like, no, none of us – because. I think Nick Rolovich can get away with one or two players not playing. Nick Rolovich cannot keep his job unless, or Nick Rolovich has one of two 
options if his entire team says he's not playing. He the, he either goes and looks like a dickhead and takes a public battle against a bunch of 19-year-olds who aren't getting paid, or he then co-ops the movement and actually uses his privilege as a shield against what the NCAA is trying to do. And do y'all think this is any way related to why the spring season, why they don't really want that? Because to your point, if you go into the spring, there's going to be enough top talent to say, I don't need this. I'm just going to prepare for the draft. Like, what are the odds Trevor Lawrence plays a college football game if it were in the spring? I'm going to say 2%. Yeah, I think it's what's very interesting is that we see guys like Micah Parsons, you know, opting out, Rashad Bateman opting out. Those guys, I mean, their, their future is sealed. You know, they like, Mike, Rashad Bateman was probably a top two round pick, regardless of what happened this season, barring catastrophic injury. Michael Parsons is probably a top 10 pick, you know, whatever happened this season. I think the only guys you will see play are guys who, you know, let's say it's a, it's a junior who may be fringe getting drafted or maybe a junior who came back to improve draft stock. You know, a guy like Devontae Smith at Alabama, for example, he may not play, but he only came back to improve his draft stock uh, because he was a I mean, he, he broke the Alabama record for receiving touchdowns in a game. It's a school that's produced Julio Jones and Amari Cooper. He, bro- he broke that record. Uh, so I, I think it's very interesting to see who plays because it's all based on draft stock. It's obviously no one wants to get hurt, but it's like, you know, what does Michael Parsons have to prove in college anymore? He's already like the second or third best linebacker in the country, and he's 19. Yeah, and, and we've talked about this with, like Leonard Fournette and uh, like Jadavian Clowney, like the top pras- prospects whose whose draft stock is sealed no matter what, it almost behooves them anyway to not play another season of college football. Like you're taking less hits on your legs. You're you are. I mean, there is a reason why people take out insurance policies before their junior year to literally protect themselves against. I mean, I know Todd Gurley had one that paid him out if he would have dropped out of the first round. I think Tua may have had one that would have done the same thing, and so. You have these players where the the big names aren't going to be the ones getting affected, but the big names are going to be the ones that like they are immune to all of this stuff happening right now. Because if you are a guy that is going that, that has an NFL team that's going to pay you multiple millions of dollars a year, it doesn't matter what you do in your last year of college football. It's those it's the the fringe guys that are are because. Even some of the walk-ons, I don't think anyone is actually going to do this, but like you could have guys that recognize like, all right, I don't really have a future outside of me really wanting to play college football. Maybe this is no longer worth it. And so like I really do feel bad for those guys where it's like, I might have a shot to make a career off of football, but like now I have to factor in is that worth potentially getting like a life-changing disease for? No. <laughs> is that Uh, Yeah, but a lot of times these kids are 19 years old. And like, if you think back where you were at 19 years old, decision making, not always sound. And that's the thing. I'd be having other people spit in my mouth. Yeah, it's like, what do you, what would you rather, what what would you rather get if you're a guy? I'm trying to think of a rising junior who's like at the top of draft boards. Like, Trevor, if you're Trevor Lawrence, what would you rather have? Would you rather, you know, have a sprained knee that, that you get in week two or get coronavirus? He'd probably take coronavirus right now. Yeah, that's the thing. Is like the, what gets lost in when the argument, like the often nauseating discourse about what's safest and what's best, 
is like, despite in the, I guess sometimes flying in the face of sound decision making, these 19 year old kids that all they've done is play football their whole life, like breaking news, really want to play football and may not actually fully weigh the risk when they make the decision because, you know, they're 19. Yeah. And, and I, I think what is, um, I think Amanda Mull made a good point about this on Twitter the other day that, I, I think the, the Pac-12 I like a lot. Just I like that the Pac-12 is the one that is spearheading a lot of this because the way that their school schedule functions, like they don't start school until September mm-hmm. or so, like like normally the the, the way that the quarter functions. system, right? And so I, I think so, I, I think a lot of schools out there are. And so when when you give yourself at least another three or four weeks before like you were, and I know some of the football players are forced to be back on campus, but like it gives you a little bit more time, I think, to organize a lot of this as opposed to some of these SEC schools that are starting up back relatively soon. And uh, Amanda's point was a, a lot of the people that work in the Northeast right now are conditioned to think that we have three or four more weeks to put in coronavirus protections for school while the school I work at literally is starting tomorrow. Our and high so school started they, yesterday. They, or, Our high school started that. yesterday, Andrew. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, and so, I, I think that it's nice having players that are going to be given a little bit more time to be able to plan some of the logistics about this because a lot of this, I mean, unionization is organization. Like, I'll, I'll, you need to give this a little bit of time to be able to. I, I think fester gives the word to, the, the wrong manifest. I, I guess you will. Um, but what, what is really going back to what I was saying earlier, I think the largest point of sort of legitimacy that you're going to need or recognition is you're going to need real coaches on this staff. And it might not even have to start with the coach. Like I guarantee you if Joe Brady would have come out in large support of the players, he wouldn't have been able. like, like I, I feel like I'm talking in circles here, but the, Biggest thing I think any of these players can do right now is come public with everything. Like you possess the leverage in a public forum. We've talked about this with Chuba and Mike Gundy, but like leak everything to the media, put everything out in public because you now have a large enough following to where like, even it like like you having the public on your side is going to help you in this discourse. And it would it, I, I always just think about like, what if there was another league in the sense like the Pac-12 is kind of spearheading this whole movement? Would it carry more weight if it were the SEC? Because you kind of know the Pac- state of Pac-12 athletics, West Coast, a lot of other shit going on. Like, can you imagine if this 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 United? I, I'm butch. I should Google this because I'm butchering the name over and over again. But if this movement union had started in the Southeastern Conference with a bunch of players from Auburn and Alabama, I feel like, like I feel like that would make way more uh, way more of a splash. It's on its way for sure. I feel like I, I don't think you know the Pac-12 is going to be the only conference that comes out with one of these things. I mean, these players all talk to they know each other. They talk to each other. They've done seven on seven in all these camps from when they were thirteen going on. So it's if like let's say stars at Alabama, Auburn, Georgia, even places like. Clemson, Florida State, like those conversations are probably already starting. It's just, you know, whether or not they fear the wrath of their coach a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. And and I I think that we've gotten to a point where we're kind of just talking in circles a little bit. And so that might be kind of a good good place to to close it out. But like the the biggest the biggest factor here for I think the efficacy of college football, I think the only way we actually have a college football season this year is if the administrations and the coaching staffs take this seriously enough to actually protect these players. And still we might not even, because I, I think their, 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 uh, their modus operandi up to this point has essentially been, no, we're going to bury, 
we're going to we're going to bury our heads in the sand and we are going to push this forward because we have the leverage and push what are you going to do about it now i think you have legitimate players saying fuck that i'm sitting out i'm not doing this anymore and so i think the only way like my brother thinks the only way the nfl happens this year is if the mlb gets canceled and they actually have to look and say we need to put in real protections and a real plan in place and so like i think the only way that the that college football happens this year is if they recognize that like this is not something that you can just like sweep these are not off-season arrest allegations you can just sweep under the rug and push through like you need a real competent plan and that plan is going to look something like has never operated in college football before before we go um i I see on twitter like literally two minutes ago i think well within the last 10 minutes um the big 10 players published a piece on the players tribune uh, titled Big Ten United, and it's basically a list of demands. I'm not going to list every single one, just the main points. Uh, they, uh, The unity proposal is based on protecting the well-being of all athletes, and it's based on oversight, prevention and safety protocols, testing, contact tracing, and related procedures, player assurances, and hazard-related economic support. The second major conference domino has fallen, and it kind of makes sense that it's a Pac-12 sister conference that did it. And I haven't seen it yet, obviously. I'm just going based on what you heard, but it sounds like it's a more uh, palatable uh, version of it. Like when it doesn't get into more of like the long-term revenue sharing stuff. It's actually like, I don't want to say more practical because that discounts the Pac-12 being like the first to do it, but it seems like it's more immediate it's, stuff. It's, than it's mostly COVID. Now. Obviously, you know, a lot of it is economics, such as, you know, preserving scholarships, um, access, even stuff as, you know, detailed as complimentary access to the Big Ten Network um, for family members of athletes. You know, that stuff may seem small, but it's like if your mom lives, you know, a state and a half away and she comes to every game, she won't be able to do that this year. So, yeah, it's small stuff like that. More palatable and definitely a lot more easily accepted. That's what happens when Ohio is in your conference. Um, but <laughs> but that's uh, – so that's that. Folks, you got anything else? The, the last – I mean – it's all it's all related in like like in terms of the Black Lives Matter movement, the proper coronavirus protections, the fact that this podcast is the only ethical consumption under capitalism. Like all all of these things are like kind of tied into one. And so like uh, ultimately like the advocate like the 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 player advocacy, like what I hope it basically starts is the players realizing the autonomy and the power that they have and essentially saying like the things we want to push forward and push through, we can push through. If we want to change social issues, if we want to change social conversations, if we want to get more protection, if we want to get healthcare, if we want to message about this, like we can do that because we hold the power in all of these cities and all of these towns and at these universities. So, um, yeah, that's that's pretty much all I got. Um, other than that, uh, Rippy, what's what's good with you? Not much. Moving to Dallas in a week. That's yeah. about uh, that's about it. So I'm trying to Hell get yeah. we got, we got uh, some big moves on the banjo horizon. That's right. You're going to New York. I'm headed to Texas. Yeah, it's uh, a U-Haul season. 